Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Under the Covers with Eve. It's Sunday, February 28th, 2016. So, um, hope you're all doing well. Um, this week I want to talk about something that is pretty common to everybody and something that I've heard about from quite a few of you. Loneliness. Now, obviously most of us have felt lonely at some point in our lives, some people more than others. Sometimes it's situational. You've moved to a new city or you've broken up with someone. And sometimes it's more a part of just who you are. You are always a bit of a loner or you've just had some trouble forming close relationships. I read recently that in the UK, according to a survey, the loneliest demographic are those aged 18 to 34. So it's interesting because the generation that you would expect to be the most social, the most connected, the most sexually and romantically active, are actually the ones who feel the least connected to other people. Now, there have been lots of studies done on loneliness itself, and I'll link to a few of them if you want to check them out. But what I want to talk to you about is not so much the experience of loneliness itself, but rather some ways you can think about it and possibly do something about it. And also the impact of social media on the experience of loneliness. I've done a few sweet nothings and other audios with the intention of soothing your loneliness. So it's not as though I don't want to comfort you, because I certainly do. I just believe that sometimes you need more than a hug or some sweet words to help you through something. And that's partially why I do this series. So that you can have something to think about and work out for yourself. I think something that gets overlooked a lot when talking about loneliness is that if, in fact, the millennials and the younger people are the loneliest group, it's worth considering that part of the reason for this is the nature of transitioning to adult life itself. When you're a teenager living at home, you often can't find enough time alone. There are parents and siblings and all sorts of people around all the time, probably too much so. Then you go to school with a few hundred other kids, and you have friends from the neighborhood or from your primary school. So while you may wish that you had a romantic partner, you at least have a lot of people around you all the time. And college is usually pretty much the same, at least to some degree. You leave home, but you're still in a class of several hundred other people your age, especially if you live on campus or in an apartment with other students. But what happens when you graduate or you leave school? Suddenly, it's a whole different world. If you get a job somewhere, you quickly learn the difference between student life and the working world, where very often you either don't see a lot of people day to day, or you have to work with people you don't really like or have anything in common with. Your social life becomes more limited, usually to just weekends, and only when your friends can find the free time the same time you can. But if you move out on your own and you work nine to five, the chances of you having any real, uh, meaningful interaction with a friend more than a few minutes a week can be severely decreased. And we've all learned the painful reality of what happens when your best friend gets a romantic partner, gets married, or, or worse, starts having kids. They all just vanish from your life. Or if you do hang around them, you begin to feel even worse. It seems like a pretty painful blow, really, you know, this transition from adolescence to young adulthood. 
without much warning that you're going to have to work a lot harder to meet people, to maintain friendships, and to form romantic relationships. What was once really simple in high school, or at least relatively simple in high school, becomes something you have to consciously go out and do when you're an adult. Like joining clubs, or doing those after-work sports team things, you know? Something you don't even feel like doing half the time, but you do it because it's your only social outlet. I know this can sound pretty grim, but the good news is this transition period doesn't last forever. And most people develop work and, you know, neighbor, friendships, whatever. Most people meet romantic partners. Most end up settling down, as they say, at least to some degree. And there's no time limit by which this has to happen. It will always vary depending on the kind of social support system that you yourself need. But if you're a young person feeling lonely, just try to understand that this is very often just part of becoming a real adult, and it will pass. For a lot of people, when you're alone, as in either living alone or without a partner or even some friends, it can seem like the cure is just the presence of another. If only I had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I wouldn't feel bad anymore. If only I had someone to cuddle with at night, someone to share my life with, everything would be perfect. And while there's no doubt in my mind that the loving presence of another person can make a huge difference in your life, I think it's important to keep in mind that it's not always the solution. People can be lonely within large families, in marriages, in groups of friends. You've probably seen this yourself. Someone can be the life of the party, have tons of friends, and yet they're very lonely people. So don't pin all your hopes on the magical presence of a fantasy loved one who will make everything okay. They might be just what you need. Sure, it's possible. But don't be surprised if you find out that you need more. So, what more? What else might you need? Well, primarily, I believe we feel lonely when we lack the presence of a kindred spirit, as they say. Or sometimes it's just called simpatico with someone. I think what people really need to feel fulfilled is to meet someone whose mind, spirit, and general outlook on life is similar enough to theirs that they can really feel connected to that person. It doesn't have to be romantic, although when you do meet someone like this, if they are sexually attractive to you, then there's no better fertile ground for love. But it can just be a platonic friend as well. Just meeting someone whose thoughts and ideas resonate with you. Someone who can make you feel less alone in the world. Someone whose very existence makes you hopeful of meeting more and more like-minded people. I think this can be a real cure for loneliness. Which is why I've said before that I don't think it's a great idea to go out and just try to meet someone. As in, you know, find a date. I, I think it's much better to find things you love, pursue them, and hopefully meet people who also love these things. Friendships and relationships will very likely bloom from situations like this. And when you do welcome these people into your life, it won't be just the physical presence of another person that you're enjoying. It will be their intelligence, their sense of humor and the genuine mutual respect and affection that has developed between you. But I also believe you need to be okay with solitude, to a degree, if you ever hope to be able to enjoy the presence of another. 
If you can't tolerate being alone, you're neglecting parts of your own development that would make you an attractive friend or partner to someone. If you're someone who just needs to be with other people, well, people can sense that, and they shy away from it very often. People want to like and respect interesting and likable people. They don't want to, you know, pity like you, <laughs> or pity fuck you, because they think you need it. So try to become okay with some degree of aloneness in your life. Try to figure out what you genuinely like to do, what kind of person you would enjoy getting to know. And then figure out ways you can go about bringing this into your life. Now, I want to move the discussion into a related area, mostly because I think it's relevant to what's going on today, but also because there's been a lot of talk about this in relation to loneliness and social isolation. Social media, which for this discussion I'll define as any interactive online platform like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, whatever. Any way that you can interact with strangers in an online capacity. I might even include multiplayer role-playing games, but since I don't know too much about them, I'll leave it up to you to decide if they qualify. So, social media. There's been a lot of discussion in recent years about the effect social media has had on the so-called Facebook generation. Even if you are among this group of people, people who never really knew life without Wi-Fi, you know, and you grew up with social media as pretty regular parts of your day, you probably have some understanding that this is an unprecedented thing in human history. This kind of technology may have been around since before you were born, even, but it doesn't mean it's well-established or a tried and tested method of human communication. As things go, it's kind of a virtual blip on the timeline of human experience. We're only just scratching the surface of how communication like this is going to affect us, how it will shape our interactions, how it will affect our language, or even the psychological development of the younger generation. It may end up being a flash in the pan, so to speak. It might be that in decades to come, when we've ended our love affair with the virtual world, seeing a reference to Twitter or Instagram in a movie will make us laugh thinking how old-fashioned and out-of-touch it is and how much it dates the movie. The way seeing uh, an antique phone does, or how everyone in the 1950s seemed to be chain smokers. <laughs> um, maybe online communication will go back to being about just keeping in touch with distant friends and relatives, not as a means to sort of replace them as it seems to be now. Right now, of course, it's a daily necessity for hundreds of millions of people who live and breathe on social media, who develop their politics and philosophies based on it, or who just generally want to show off. This is probably a far bigger component of online interaction than you might think. On certain sites, people seem to just outdo each other in attempts to show how wildly popular and fun they are, you know. There's a concept now called FOMO, a fear of missing out, which refers to the general sense of anxiety you get when you see the fabulous lives everyone seems to be living based on their Facebook or Instagram posts. Everyone looks so happy all the time, like they're just out there having the time of their lives, like everybody loves them and life's nothing but one big party. And you feel like somehow you're missing out, like you're doing something really wrong because you're not out taking 
drunken selfies with a bunch of beautiful friends on your birthday, that sort of thing. One of the biggest and wealthiest celebrities in the world right now, Kim Kardashian, is pretty much famous just for being famous. And so many young people look at her Instagram followers, something like 60 million at this point, as some sort of indication of success or value. Stars and celebrities sort of compete to outdo each other. I mean, first it's Lady Gaga that has the most followers, and then it's Kim Kardashian, then it's Justin Bieber. It almost doesn't matter if these people have any talent or special appeal. You know, they're just famous, and they have all these virtual fans, and that's all that counts. It seems to make the mere mortals among us believe that followers and likes make us good people, or at least popular and loved. I'm sure, however, that the number of people that any of these stars can actually, truly trust and talk to openly can probably be counted on the fingers of one blinged out hand, <laughs> just like everybody else. But the more insidious cost of all this is not just in our, you know, perceived popularity. The bigger problem, to me, seems to be that we're now prioritizing what we are online over what we are in real life. Through screen names and avatars and words on a screen, we can hide our true selves, even when we're out living in the real world. We're starting to isolate ourselves from each other by, ironically, being completely open with the entire world. The next time you're on any kind of public transit, look around and notice how many people are doing the, the phone dip thing, you know, that posture that everybody has where they, you know, their chin to chest kind of looking at their phone like that. <laughs> Depending on where you live, I'd say it's likely that most people around you will be completely absorbed in their device, either browsing or watching a video, playing a game, texting, whatever. I mean, they're just oblivious. A Godzilla could stroll by beside the bus or train and nobody would even notice. <laughs> and this kind of absorption happens everywhere, of course. There are viral videos of women in shopping malls breezing along, so lost in their phones that they accidentally walk right into the fountain. <laughs> and I'm sure that the phone dip thing has caused more than a few pedestrian versus car or bike or other pedestrian accidents, but I notice this most on the bus that I take into the city. And it's probably because people don't have to pay attention to anything on a bus, and so they dive into their phones. Now, on the one hand, I understand this perfectly. Commutes are boring, and this little device in your hand is so full of potentially entertaining and useful pastimes that it's incredibly tempting to just to just plug in some earbuds and enjoy yourself. But at the same time, it isolates us completely from each other. Someone sits next to you on a crowded bus, and you're only vaguely aware of their presence. You couldn't pick them out of a lineup if your life depended on it. You certainly won't engage with anyone. If you did start talking to someone, they'd probably change seats. And while I agree that privacy and just generally being left alone is really important sometimes, I think when this becomes the sort of chronic, typical state of affairs, it can actually start to damage us psychologically. I mean, we, most of us only speak a handful of words all day long, usually. You know, basic greetings and requests in shops, um, a few polite exchanges at work, but essentially anything we really talk about is usually saved for the online world and our virtual friends and acquaintances. 
this seems to be the consensus among psychology professionals. We are more connected now than ever before, but much lonelier. We don't know how to converse properly anymore, or even respectfully. We just hurl our opinions at each other in outrage. And because of this, because there's a lot more feelings involved and a lot less um, rational discourse, I think we're increasingly unable to form healthy relationships in real life. We're lonely, but we're afraid of actual intimacy. You know, we're not comfortable with the demands of real relationships, but we do want connection. And so since we don't like the feeling of being alone, we kind of mimic it. We think that sharing our every thought, our every feeling, every single part of us publicly, gives us a sense of community and belonging. But I think it just ends up making us more and more unable to actually connect. I want to direct you to an excellent 2011 TED Talk given by psychologist Dr. Sherry Turkle, all about loneliness in a highly connected world. Studying the emergence of connectedness technology in 1996, back when the internet and cell phone technology were just about to explode globally, and everyone was really excited about this new leap forward in communication, she had this to say. In those heady days, we were experimenting with chat rooms and online virtual communities. We were exploring different aspects of ourselves, and then we unplugged. I was excited, and as a psychologist, what excited me most was the idea that we would use what we learned in the virtual world about ourselves, about our identity, to live better lives in the real world. She now believes that we are, quote, letting it take us places we don't want to go. She says that we are now getting used to being alone together, and she believes it has to do with customizing and controlling our lives. People want to be with other people, but only at a distance and in amounts that they control. They want to be able to dip in and out of all the relationships in their lives at will. Texting at board meetings, doing Facebook during class, shopping online while at work. And they're beginning to see real-life relationships, whether friends, family, or colleagues, as the interruption to their preferred online existence. Also, as she says, we can edit, delete, and retouch and control how we present ourselves in the online world, effectively cleaning up um, messy, demanding, real-world human relationships, where we're not always perfect. We don't always say the right thing. We're not always witty and well-considered. We can craft our persona until we're satisfied and then post that to the world, never having to truly deal with any consequences that might come from an unguarded moment or a poorly thought out remark or attitude. And keep in mind too, what a recent psychology blogger, Dr. Ravi Chandra had to say when asked why he deleted his Facebook account. He said, as much as I enjoyed aspects of the Facebook experience, including the possibility of social change, I concluded that Facebook was more of a way to be opinionated rather than related. I also, just as an aside, love what Dr. Turkle says about the development of sociable robots that are being used for the elderly and other lonely people. It's almost like we know that we aren't going to be there for each other, so we're starting to develop machines that can pretend to empathize and make us feel better. Now, one thing I do want to say about social media is that an awful lot of people have been truly helped by forming connections with their online community. So this is by no means something that's always going to affect everybody in a negative way. This is just something to consider as a whole, that maybe this is where our society is heading, and that it might be contributing to the general feeling of loneliness that's out there. 
But certainly, if you have found happiness and fulfillment in a great online community, then that is a great step towards soothing your real-life loneliness. So these are just some things to consider about loneliness in general, and some possible causes for it. Some people have tried the unplug experiment, literally just avoiding all social media for a certain length of time, with varying success, but it's something you might want to try if your social media habits are making you feel isolated from real relationships. And I know that this might sound overly simplistic or even cliche, but don't underestimate the impact that a companion animal can have in your life if you're feeling lonely. It isn't just for the elderly in nursing homes. Anyone can improve their feelings of loneliness by adopting a pet that they can care for and develop a bond with. And lastly, of course, I'm biased, but I really recommend erotic and supportive audio for this purpose. The intimacy level you can feel plus the ability to actually engage with and get to know the people who make the audios, it can do wonders to help with loneliness. Just knowing that you aren't really alone, that we are all alone together in the world, and that there are a great many of us who are happy to reach out and make connections, it should make you feel less alone, I hope. So that's it for this week. Thanks for joining me again. Enjoy the rest of your week. It's a leap year this year. I forgot about that completely. So happy 29th tomorrow. <laughs> so I hope you come back next week. And until then, stay warm, stay cozy, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>